Empower Radio presents Out of the Fog. Join intuitive guide and spiritual teacher Karen Hager for lively, positive conversation with lightworkers, healers, and dynamic wisdom keepers. Get ready for inspiration and connection. This is Out of the Fog on Empower Radio. Here's your host, Karen Hager. Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time, we gather for spiritual conversation and enlightening guests, and I'm glad you're here. Time and distance are no barrier to energy, and that means no matter when you're listening, no matter how you found us, you are here for a reason. And I hope that something in the next hour lights you up and helps you move forward. You know, I believe that we are always moving, always changing, no matter how stuck we might feel. And on today's show, we're going to be exploring the idea of pilgrimage as an inner and outer spiritual journey, movement, travel that takes us closer to the sometimes hidden heart of the divine in our lives. Christine Walters Painter is here to give us insight into how creative spiritual practices can bring us closer to the divine presence in our lives. Are you ready to meet her? Christine Walters Paintner, PhD, is the online abbess at abbeyofthearts.com. That's a global virtual monastery offering online retreats and live pilgrimages in Ireland, Germany, and Austria. Christine is the author of nine books on contemplative practice and creative expression. Her new book is The Soul of a Pilgrim, Eight Practices for the Journey Within. You can find out lots more about Christine and her work at abbeyofthearts.com. Um, Christine, welcome to Out of the Fog. Thank you, Karen. Delighted to be here with you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm wondering, one of the things that I like about the book is the way your personal story, your pilgrimage is woven into that greater narrative about what pilgrimage is and how to undertake it. What is the journey that inspired you to write this book? Well, uh, from the last several years, uh, my husband and I, well, we used to live in Seattle in the States, and my husband and I were traveling um, mostly in the summers. He was teaching high school, and we were coming to Europe, uh, Ireland, and Austria, and Germany in particular, because these were an- places of ancestral significance, and that's something that's been important for me for a long time. And something about walking in those landscapes was um, very transformative and essentially, uh, what happened was in 2012, he was kind of ready for a little change. He'd been teaching high school for many, many years. And I had uh, applied for my um, pass- Austrian passport through my father. So that was sort of the, <laughs> the doorway into this uh, kind of adventure, life adventure that we went on. We kind of call it a like a midlife um, pilgrimage that we embarked on where we basically sold everything that we owned uh, in Seattle, including our home and our car and our clothes and furniture and all of that, and uh, set sail on an adventure. We actually took the Queen Mary too across the Atlantic because we always had wanted to do that. And um, actually lived in Vienna, Austria for six months uh, at the beginning of this adventure and we didn't know how long we were going to be gone for. We didn't know where things were going to take us. And as, as things turned out, we ended up in a Galway city and the West, very West coast of Ireland. 
And Ireland was a place we had fallen in love with before. And uh, it kind of called to us for a number of reasons, uh, a lot of which has to do with just the creative vibrancy of this place and the um, being on the edge of the Atlantic, the image of the wild edges really calls to me. And so we've been here for almost three years now and just absolutely loving it. And the whole the, the whole journey has been one like where we never plan we could never plan like out ahead what was going to happen and sort of this image of sort of trusting what's unfolding and that you know really and i was sharing that journey on my website and found that people were really kind of hungry for st- stories of adventure like that the stories of like just taking a risk and stepping into the unknown so that was the kind of the seeds of the book and how that came about. <laughs> I was wondering as I was listening to that journey, what you, the journey to the edge, which I really love that, that mm-hmm. idea, that, that metaphor of the taking the journey to the edge. Can we really plan our lives? Are they <laughs> under our direction? Is that an illusion? Are we actually really going on faith the whole time? I would say most yes, uh, there's a line from um, a poem by David White where he says, "What you can plan is too small for you to live." Mm-hmm. And I'm a, kind of a recovering planner. I I love to plan, and I still like love to look kind of ahead and sort of you know exert my own ideas <laughs> about how things might be. But I think the big gift for me in these last several years has just been a journey of really beginning to trust more and more that there is this kind of organic unfolding in the world that when we follow what brings us most alive, that it actually brings us to the place where, you know, where we're most in the Irish tradition, they call it finding the place of your resurrection, which I think is a really beautiful image. And that's kind of what we're discovering here is it's not the place that we thought we were going to go or the things that we thought we were going to do. Uh, And so, yeah, there's sort of this sense of, I think I think always in life <laughs> the plans you know are, that we make are often um, you know circumvented by other life you know life experiences, mm-hmm. and so how we how we respond to them is kind of the journey really. Is a what is a pilgrimage a response to? Maybe we should back that up even. What is a pilgrimage? How do you define that? And why do we? set out because we all do in some way at some point I feel anyway well you know one of the ways that I define pilgrimage is this idea of someone who is setting out to intentionally court holy disruption (laughs) which isn't is kind of a funny phrase for some people because it's not you know not a lot of us will think oh I want to set out and actually invite disruption into my life. And yet I think a lot of us are hungry for, you know, that the image of the wild edges is really, really what calls to me because it's a sense of like, can I go out to the place where, you know, I am beyond my plans. Things are, I'm fully recognized that things are out of my control (laughs) and I can say yes to the way that the spirit, you know, moves through my life and upends things in lots of ways that are both, delightful and also sometimes terrifying and really uncomfortable and yet that disruption oh like the the root of the word pilgrim is actually means stranger and so when we go on pilgrimage we're actually like seeking out 
this disruption in our lives. We're seeking out the experience of being the stranger of, you know, being in a foreign place <clears throat> where customs and language and all of that makes us realize that we have all these like things that we're attached to about how life should be. And yet the whole purpose of pilgrimage is to kind of strip that away and see how, how life actually is <laughs> and what we're being invited into beyond the kind of the things that we hold on to so tightly, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And it's, I know a woman who left her home and went and walked the Camino del Santiago and did the whole, the whole long journey. I can't even remember how long it is. Big, long journey, big deal, trained physically for it, went through every stop, saw everything and came back and she was changed and she had really made that pilgrimage. And so for her, that to me, that's the almost the easy kind of pilgrimage because you go and it's hard, but you go and it's somewhere else and you are taken out of yourself and everything around you says this is different. The language is different. The people are different. Um, I'm not in my bed eating my own food. There's an inner pilgrimage here too, where we stay where we are and yet still can connect with that otherness in our lives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's in what, a part of what I wanted to write the book about. Was, I mean, there's a lot of books on sort of the outer pilgrimage, but what I discovered was that so much of my experience on pilgrimage were things that we encounter in our in our everyday lives. So this idea of courting holy disruption, like, I mean, it can happen, you know, simply by having a big life change, you know, maybe we were diagnosed with an illness or, you know, we have uh, like a family system that starts to dissolve or a job that we thought was there suddenly isn't. And so we have to, instead of responding sort of as a victim in that situation, I think there's an empowerment that comes from looking at that life situation as a, as a pilgrimage journey. And as that experience of discomfort is something that might crack us open to a, a life that is even bigger and than what we than what we had been living. What are we looking for when we are when we allow ourselves to be aware of the experience of being cracked open? When we set out on the Camino, whether that's walking in Spain or whether it's me sitting at home, what are we seeking? It's mm, a really beautiful question, and I, I think. Part of my answer is, I think we're seeking an experience of kind of radical vulnerability. Um, I think there's so much, there's so many defenses in our lives, <clears throat> interior and exterior defenses. And um, I think that we're all like hungry for a, a space in our lives where we can, you know, let that crack open and find like the tenderness and the the beauty that's in there, that's very hard to often reveal to others. Like, what what is the thing that I most deeply desire? But that comes with a lot of tenderness and vulnerability and tentativeness. And um, I think sort of finding an experience, an experience of being met in that place. You know, it's not just the being cracked open and finding vulnerability. It's also having an encounter with you know, whether we call that God or, or some other kind of sense of something bigger than ourselves that can hold us in that, in that vulnerability. It's in that space between saying, I hunger or I hurt or I have been broken open and in then holding that 
holy space for the response, for the connection, for the meeting then with spirit. Yes. Yeah, that's a really beautiful way to say that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I talk often with people who are at difficult places in their life and they may be feeling that vulnerability, feeling that broken open, and yet they might say to me, I one more experience of vulnerability and I'm done. I don't want to take another step in, in openness. I'm really looking for something that gives me security, shows me where the edges are in a solid way, right? Gives me more confidence, more strength. And my sense is that this kind of pilgrimage offers that as well, because in going through that vulnerability, we find our real strength, not the stuff that's imposed on us by, I don't know, how we think we're supposed to behave or someone told us to behave once, but who we really truly are. There's depth in this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's, you know, the the sense of being broken open and um, it, it's like... I, I do some teaching around kind of the underworld journey as well, like making that conscious underworld journey. And I think there's certainly that's a kind of pilgrimage and sometimes that's what we're called to. And it's the sense of there is no way out, but through, you know, I think a lot of times when we're in that place of radical vulnerability, we want, we want to escape <laughs> as quickly as possible. We want to numb ourselves out or any number of things, but it so it takes this tremendous courage to walk that path with integrity, with companionship, because it's not something that uh, is really <laughs> recommended to do on your own. And um, but it, when we do that with with that kind of really fidelity to the to the path and to what's true and what's breaking open, there is then this like deeper, solid ground that is revealed over time. Usually, not on a time frame that we you know we can force <laughs> or right. we can you know, anticipate kind of going back to that idea of letting go of our own plans. And so that's kind of the difficulty. It's like being in that suspended place in between while we're awaiting, <laughs> awaiting that solidness. And there's a different rhythm to this. It isn't the, you know, only 1995, the 62nd pilgrimage, and then all your stuff is solved and it comes in a box, you know, and you get a medal for completion. It really is. There's a deeper rhythm to this. It's connecting with that with the heart that's at the heart of the world. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. And there's, I mean, it's definitely an ongoing, I mean, if you, even if you go on a, like a pilgrimage, you know, walking the Camino, the pilgrimage doesn't end when you're, when you fly home, you know, it's an ongoing journey that, you know, I've known people who've done that walk as well. And, you know, years later, they're still unpacking some of what that means um, you know, in our own lives, we've been living overseas now for three and a half years, and there's still these beautiful, like, openings and thresholds, th basically thresholds that we keep crossing that are part of this journey that we never could have anticipated. Um, and so I think that's part of the, part of, maybe part of the, like, misnomer around pilgrimage is sort of this sense that it's like a time-limited journey. You know what I mean? That it's really kind of more of an attitude that we enter into life as as being open and willing to encounter that strangeness and that <clears throat> that vulnerability again and again and again, and continually finding that deeper solidity and that deeper sense of abiding presence. <clears throat> One of the things that I enjoy about the book about the soul of a pilgrim is that 
you spend time talking about how to prepare for pilgrimage. So this isn't something where you just go, okay, I think I'll do that. And you, and you sort of <laughs> leap right in that there mm-hmm. can be preparation. What are some of the ways that if somebody's listening to this and they think, oh, this is interesting. I'd like, how do I begin to walk the path? How can we prepare for that? Well, I think there's a number of ways that we do that. Um, the, the preparation it comes on kind of a number of levels, one of which is just sort of like the physical, practical level, you know, the kind of, you know, it was, it's very much like an ancient tra- tradition in going on pilgrimage actually to kind of uh, go through your things, give away what you don't need, settle your debts, all those kinds of practical things, but that also create a sense of um, freedom in the journey. So that was a big part for us uh, when we moved overseas was really thinking about what we wanted to let go of and what we wanted to hold on to. And there was kind of this wonderful synchronicity where when we sold our, our condo in Seattle, the amount <clears throat> that we got back after the, the mortgage was paid off was within like $100 of our um, graduate school student loans. <laughs> and so there was this kind of wonderful sense of like, freedom of being able to really like set aside all those debts but then of course there's the kind of more interior um, preparation and um, that sense of part of it is you know just the I talk in the book about hearing the call and saying yes (laughs) so part of it is kind of that yes is not just a one-time thing and sort of a yes, that we're invited to in again and again, much like we would be in any kind of commitment even. Like I think about my marriage as being an ongoing invitation to continue to say yes to that. And I think the the pilgrimage invites that as well. And then I also talk about things like um, like anointing yourself for the journey, um, you know, getting some oil and uh, blessing your feet and your hands and your heart and your throat and your lips and your forehead as this kind of ritual act. I think ritual is another really beautiful way that we can um, send ourselves forth. And so, and if we can do that in community, whether that's like a a spiritual director, soul friend, or a faith community, or other, you know, just friends that gather with us to help send us forth, I think that can be a really beautiful way. I think pilgrimage is done it's like an individual call but ultimately it's for the community because we always bring gifts back Mm. from what we you know what we experience you mention in the book preparing ourselves by receiving a seven word prayer and i found that fascinating and i actually sat with the book and i was trying to think of what mine would be and i'm counting no (gasps) darn it too many words i gotta get a shorter prayer Mm -hmm. what are why is it a seven word prayer and what might an example be of that um, well, the, the word, I mean, the number seven is, is a sacred number in, you know, many traditions, of course, we have like the seven sacraments and, um, the seven chakras and the Indian tradition. And, um, so there's a sense of sacredness around that, but then there's also this, for me, it's, it's sort of an, uh, act of getting to the essence of things. So kind of like when you write a, like a haiku poem, um, so there's this sense of how do I distill 
how do I distill things down and and like not being overly attached to to the number seven if if your perfect prayer is six words or eight words or you know what I mean we do this when we we have groups that come on pilgrimage here and um you know sort of inviting people to kind of let the seven be kind of a guide and also not again too much of a of a hindrance um so you know it could be just something sim simple uh like you know bless me on this journey ahead let's see i don't have one right in front of me so i have to think of one <laughs> i'm trying to think of what mine have been in the past uh uh you know, bless me on this journey with grace or something like that. You know, it, it could be just something simple like that. But what I really recommend is, is to listen, you know, once you sort of plant that as an intention to then carry that invitation as you, as you walk through your days and then see, like I find like the actual physical practice of walking for me evokes a lot of um, images and, you know, things that I'm carrying with me. And so I might just pay attention set that as an intention for, you know, a day or for a week and see what, see what kind of my, my own heart sort of offers back to me in those quiet moments when I'm not really expecting it. Cause mm. sometimes the prayer then works. And so it's like not necessarily the prayer that I'm, that I, again, that I'm planning that I figure out is the best prayer for me, but kind of listening to what is the prayer that's actually arising from my own heart and what might that be? And, you know, maybe there's even a dream that I have during the week that kind of reveals something that might be something that I could carry forth with me. I've always been fascinated by the idea of the prayer of the heart that we're instructed to pray without ceasing and the idea that there could be a prayer that runs underneath everything we do that kind of sustains us, that sort of um, is is the treadmill that we're walking on or is the river that we're walking by. And so I love the idea of the seven-word prayer just because it asks me to boil down to its essence, what is it that I want running underneath my intentions? Yeah, and so I just I found it really it. beautiful. Mm. Thank you. So Thank even you. though mine was nine or maybe eight or I don't know, yeah. 12, <laughs> 35 yeah, word and again, prayer. Like, you know, discerning, like, does that, is that, you know, feel good to me? And are, is there anything extra in there that I don't need? And if not, yeah. then, then that's beautiful, you know, <clears throat> just as it is. I had the experience once a very, very horrible dental procedure. Mm -hmm. And in that time, I wasn't thinking about prayer of the heart. I wasn't thinking about anything that I had ever been taught or read or learned about spirituality. All I was thinking about was getting through the horrible dental procedure. And I found that prayer was in my heart. And I don't think I could have said it out loud because they'd forced my mouth open and were doing terrible <laughs> things to me. But I found that in that time of need, in that time of pain, in that time of being broken open, sort of literally broken open, that mm -hmm. prayer was there. And so mm. that kind of prayer can be tremendously powerful, no matter where where we are on our journey. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we often think that our prayer needs to be a certain way or form, or we sort of have these external expectations about, yeah, what we should be praying about or what that should look like. And I think like the really raw prayer that just arises from us if we can pay attention to that, that can be tremendously powerful. Absolutely. You are listening to Out of the Fog with Karen Hager. My guest is Christine Walters-Paintner. Her new book is The Soul of a Pilgrim, 
Eight Practices for the Journey Within. And Christine, you are the online abbess at abbeyoftheartstep.com. And so when we come back after this short break, I'm going to want to ask you a little bit about what it means to be an online abbess. Do you get a costume? I think this is what I'm wanting to know. (laughs) Is there a costume, Christine, or is it maybe no? No costume. Uh, I'll reveal that later. Oh, it's, oh, it's, oh, good. It's (laughs) hidden. Like, (laughs) see, on Out of the Fog, we get to those hidden spiritual truths. It's, this is, it's important to have a show that's not afraid (laughs) to ask, to ask the big questions. But I know that a big part of your work is about that intersection between our creative expression and our, and our reaching for the holy. And so having that online space, that's a rather beautiful, um, community in which to explore that. Yeah, I feel tremendously grateful because again, it was something that I didn't set out to create. I It sort of happened. I started blogging 10 years ago because I was recovering from academia after getting my PhD. I realized I, I wanted to, so much to be a writer and all I could write was these academic works, which, you know, so I basically started blogging so I could write for people who were kind of the ordinary people, you know, who I was more concerned with. And um, yeah, and sort of over the 10 years has has unfolded in ways that I never could have planned for myself. And I'm so grateful for in that way. Oh, fantastic. Well, we will be right back after this short break with Christine Walters Paintner. When we return, I'll ask her about the discomfort of being on pilgrimage, whether that's necessary. And of course, is there a costume? We'll be right back after this. tired of styling your hair every day and do you want a good hairstyle every day hi i'm sarah schuster i went on a website called inventnow.org and after that i decided to invent something too something called the insta do just imagine you just put it over your head like a helmet does and you pick your hairstyle with the buttons on the side and you can have instant hairstyle in seconds People like it. People like Jeff Bart. I like it. And people like Kenneth. It's the summer thing, and it fits over your head, and it's great. Thank you, Kenneth. You should go to inventnow.org, and it could help you come up with your own invention. After all, look at me on the radio now. Anything's possible. Keep thinking. Get started on your own inventions, or just play some games at inventnow.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation, and the Ad Council. Hey, Larry, mind if I sit down? Nope. This coffee tastes like uh, coffee. So what's going on? Not much. What's new? Not much. Okay, but can you please put the newspaper down while you say not much? What newspaper? This newspaper. Oh, dude, what happened to your face? I see one, two, three, four, five, six. Dude, what is this? Eleven pieces of... Toilet paper stuck to your face? I'm shaving in the dark to save energy. I'm helping the environment. That's a dangerous way to help the environment. Well, sometimes you have to sacrifice yourself for the greater good. Dude, there's an easier and safer way to help the environment without sacrificing yourself. Go green, go public. Take public transportation. It's good for the environment and you won't have to live behind a newspaper. Wow. But for now, put the newspaper back up. A message from the public transportation systems across the country. To learn more, visit publictransportation.org. I'm home, and I love it. 
said I'm home where I belong. It's always nice to come home, but these days, many Americans are at risk of foreclosure and losing their homes. Fortunately, help is available. Making home affordable is a free program from the U.S. government that has already helped over a million struggling homeowners, and we want to help you. I'm home. I'm home. And I love it. I'm home. I'm home. Find out now what your options are. Go to makinghomeaffordable.gov or call 1-888-995-HOPE. The sooner you act, the better chance we can help you. I'm home. Brought to you by the U.S. Treasury, HUD, and the Ad Council. And now back to Out of the Fog with Karen Hager on Empower Radio. EmpowerRadio.com. Welcome back to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager, and I'm talking with Christine Walters Paintner. Her new book is The Soul of a Pilgrim. Eight Practices for the Journey Within. And you can find out more about Christine and her work at abbeyofthearts.com. And you know, I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey. Does anything that Christine and I are talking about today bring up questions for you, bring up stories for you about your own journey? Does it make you think about maybe shaping your path in a different way? I always welcome your feedback about the show, and you can reach me through my website, which is Karen Hager. Dot com. Christine, this book features eight practices to help guide our journey, to help sort of be a companion on the way. And in each of these chapters is beautiful poetry that's given at the end of the chapters a blessing on this phase of the journey. And I'm wondering, are you open to sharing? I'd love for you to share with the listeners the poem you wrote called Invite Wonder. Are you open to that? Yeah, I would be delighted to read that. Wonderful. So it's called Invite Wonder. What if you bowed before every dandelion you met and wrote love letters to squirrels and pigeons who crossed your path? What if scrubbing the dishes became an act of single reverence for the gift of being washed clean? And what if the rhythmic percussion of chopping carrots became the drumbeat of your dance? What if you stepped into the shower each morning only to be baptized anew and sent forth to serve the grocery bagger, the bank teller, and the bus driver through simple kindness? And what if the things that make your heart dizzy with delight were no longer stuffed into the basement of your being and allowed to out to play in the lush and green fields? There are two ways to live in this world as if everything were enchanted or nothing at all. There is no in-between, although you keep trying to live this divided life, knowing deep down something is awry. You have lived long enough with this tearing apart. Come out into the wide world and discover there companions and guides at every turn. And even those who summon curses from your heart have a divine spark within them, bright enough to invite wonder. That's beautiful. There are two ways to live as if everything were enchanted or nothing at all. Does going on pilgrimage give us different sight, new sight, different perception? I think so. I think so. I think part of pilgrimage is 
part of the stripping away that happens is kind of shedding all the burdens and the expectations and the the usual ways we see things, which is often kind of skimming the surface. And so pilgrimage can invite us into this journey of depth, really, and uh, beginning to find grace in places we didn't expect. And that's, yeah, that's part of the kind of the new vision <laughs> that comes, I think, starting to find that um, illumination uh, at every turn, <laughs> even in the difficult places. And there's, I hear, I hear in the lines about that, that even those who summon curses from your heart have a divine spark within them bright enough to invite wonder. Is forgiveness part of of setting out on this pilgrimage? You said about settling your debts and giving away mm. or selling what you don't need. Is there a component of forgiveness in this journey as well? I think there definitely can be, and I, but I think that's one that's more kind of the unfolding of the journey rather than something mm. that we necessarily do before we set out. I think when we when we make a pilgrimage we discover we discover a lot of the wounded places within us and and so the people that we might uh need to forgive including ourselves in that um is definitely a big part of the journey um and maybe even discovering that we didn't even know we needed to offer that forgiveness until we have come to that place of vulnerability that that was being called forth from us. You share in the book that you're a practitioner of a kind of yoga that involves holding uncomfortable postures for long periods of time. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> <laughs> glutton for punishment. <laughs> it's officially called glutton for punishment yoga. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, what is the role of that discomfort? What do we um, I, I learned even the right word. What do we experience? What is the value of going right to the edge physically? Mm. Well, you know, I, I actually the, took a workshop uh, in the States a few years ago in something called Body Soul Rhythms, which was actually developed by Marion Woodman, who's a Jungian analyst. And the the woman who was teaching the workshop, Sherry Wheaton, she had this really beautiful um image that uh, that I don't include in the book, but really kind of forms part of my understanding of how this works. And she talks about how we all have this sort of threshold of tolerance in our lives where we feel sort of calm and centered and okay. But then, you know, life interrupts and we move either to anxiety or numbness, which are kind of the edges of that threshold of tolerance. And so what, what the invitation is, is... Um, when we when we have intentional ways, whether it's through this practice of yin yoga that I practice or whether it's through going on pilgrimage or go, even going to like a dance workshop where we actually dance on the edges of our threshold of tolerance. So we dance on the edges of our places where we start to feel a bit uncomfortable. But when we do that in a kind of uh, ritual container, uh, the, what happens is we can start to expand our threshold of tolerance. We can start to widen our capacity to meet life from this calm and centered place. And so there's, I think, a great gift. You know, I, I think that's a lot of what meditation practice is about as well is, you know, learning to, um, yeah, learning to respond to all of life, what life brings us from this place of more centeredness. But I think it really comes from learning to meet 
all the discomforts that arise, whether they're physical or emotional or spiritual. Um, so there's a, a courting, you know, that courting holy disruption. There's a, a seeking out of discomfort, not in a kind of self-flagellation way, but in a way of like, oh, what am I, how do I widen my capacity for being with this, you know, being with the difficulties of life? And for me, that's pilgrimage has been a huge part of that, <laughs> being, you know, thrust into all kinds of uncomfortable situations and, um, you know, making me ultimately someone who has grown in my own compassion for myself and for others through that. And it, at least in my experience, being willing to do that doesn't mean that I'm always uh, right or have the right response or go through those difficult experiences like a little perfect saint girl. But what it does mean is that I can be in the experience, be aware of what's happening and respond from a place of awareness instead of from that edge of not being aware. Yeah, exactly. That's a beautiful way to put it. Um, exactly. We, <laughs> we, um, we don't, we court the discomfort, but it doesn't mean we necessarily always have to be happy about it, <laughs> but we can still be, yeah, exactly. Bring that sort of sense of awareness and consciousness around it. And I think for me, it's ultimately about bringing like a gentleness and a compassion. So it's like when I, you know, when I have this encounter where, you know, my edges are stretched and I, I feel that like tender part of myself come up who just wants to like be secure again, I can, I can welcome that part of myself in. So I think that's a big part of it, too, for me, is the monastic idea of hospitality, which is welcoming in all the parts of ourselves, including the, the tender, scared parts. And so the less that we banish those, <laughs> the more they can kind of show up with us <laughs> in all of life. <laughs> mm. I know that one of the courses offered through the online Abbey of the Arts, there's a course called Monk in the World, and I'm a student in that course, which is how I connected with you and, and your work. And that course is centered around some basic tenets of what does it mean to be a monk? What does it mean to be someone who is intentionally committed to a, I don't, maybe, okay, maybe I should ask you what is a monk, intentionally committed to a spiritual practice, to a community? What does that mean? Well, uh, essentially for me, this idea of being a monk in the world is um, being committed to con a contemplative way of life, which for me doesn't necessarily mean living in a monastery. It means um, having really committing to a path of more slowness, of more presence, of more attentiveness, less reactivity in our lives, um, of more compassion. So things like, um, you know, cultivating silence and solitude, you know, instead of living our lives through the, the rush of the everyday and the constant, you know, barrage of noise, can I make time for myself to actually listen to, um, to another voice, a deeper voice that comes either from within me or from creation around me? Uh, you know, this idea of welcoming in the stranger, which is hospitality. I think community is a part of it. I, I do think that um, it's wise to have uh, companions along the spiritual path, particularly when we're engaging in work that is going to, particularly when we're, you know, moving to those dis places of discomfort and it's going to trigger things within us. I think it's very, very important to have people who can help support us on that journey. Um, but essentially, like for me, the monk is so, sort of that slow, spacious presence, but also um, 
the one who sees really at least works to see the sacred in all you know in all of life whether that's through the people that you meet or through creatures or through um even through time like the monastic practice of praying the hours is about seeing time as this kind of holy unfolding so those are kind of some of the things that for me um kind of undergird this idea of being a monk in the world and i find it really refreshing because it requires that intentional commitment when i I feel at least so much we do in our lives is kind of we're doing it without really being aware that we're doing it. Um, whether it's kind of coming to and realize we've spent seven hours on Facebook, not that that would ever happen to me, or mm -hmm. that we right we're driving places without paying attention, we're having conversations without really listening to what we're saying. And when we connect with an intentional community like that, in whatever way, it brings us to an awareness of who we are and what we're doing. When you make a commitment like that or when you step into a holy space like that, you can no longer say, oh, I wasn't paying attention. Oh, I didn't know what I was doing. Right, right. It's Yeah, it's the journey from unconsciousness to consciousness, you know, on a, on a Jungian kind of language level. But I think that's really true. How do we bring more depth, really? to our interactions in daily life and our sense of presence in the world. <laughs> I know that part of what you do is lead uh, uh, real-life, face-to-face pilgrimages, as well as overseeing online retreats and pilgrimages through the Abbey of the Arts. As you work with people face-to-face -face on their journeys, what are some of the stages that you see people go through after you've led enough of these. I imagine you see people start at one place and move through. What are some of the stages we can expect to go through as we are on our pilgrimage? Well, it's interesting because there's, there's certainly one of the, the core things that I think we do as pilgrimage guides. My husband and I do this, lead this together, and um, we definitely create that the priority is creating that safe space for people to step into where they feel held, but also reminding them that, you know, this, this idea of the discomfort is going to keep coming up and that it's really a welcoming in of that as a, as a grace. And so, you know, the first couple of days of pilgrimage, you can see people sort of navigating, you know, the, the, it's sort of sometimes things come up and they're not even aware that, they're sort of reverting back to like the way they wish things were, you know, at home or whatever the kind of messages um, that, or sometimes people have, you know, the travel disruptions that kind of affect how they, how they arrive. Um, but then there's this kind of beautiful space. It takes usually just about two or three days where they really move in. We really cultivate a sense of community uh, in our pilgrimage group and we keep our, our pilgrimage is small to 12 people for that purpose. So there's an intimacy that um, develops in the sense of, you know, we talk when they arrive about how they each said yes to this particular journey at this particular moment in time so that they've been called together to support one another. And it's just an agreement for these eight days. Um, but the idea is that they, they move into this community with one another to also discover um how they might want to cultivate that kind of community back at home if they don't have it. So they have a taste of, of that kind of community. And then I think there's, you know, towards the end, a couple of days over the end, there's that like um, period of like grief of like having moved to these places of depth, having connected with this, 
community and then starting to feel a little bit of sadness around returning home anticipation, but also the grief of letting go of, you know, what's been built. Uh, but then also that's part of the discomfort of the journey, you know, and then having to um, really step into, you know, what is it that I want to carry home with me? But, but a lot of people, when they're, when they get to the end of the eight day pilgrimage, you know, it's not, it's not completely clear at that point yet what, what it is they're bringing back. So often I'll get emails in the months that follow like, oh, this is, you know, this is what I'm discovering now. And so that's a really beautiful thing to kind of see that unfold. So, yeah, that's sort of the rhythm that we've <laughs> discovered in these, these wonderful encounters. <laughs> when we come home from an experience like that, or when something happens in our life that changes us, that takes us to those places where we are in that depth of connection, how do we bring that back into our, and I'm using ironic quotation marks, normal life? Mm. Well, it can be challenging to be quite honest. And, and actually I think it, it, you know, if it's, if it's a really an experience of real depth and authenticity where we have experienced disruption, it is going to be difficult when we try and bring that back home because we are going to be upsetting systems in our lives that are sort of reliant on us sort of living the old way. Uh, so I think it does take some courage uh, to be able to do that. Um, but this, and then for me, this sense of practice is really important. Like how, when I return home, how do I want to embody what I've discovered? Like what are the, we we talk uh, on the pilgrimages a lot about kind of what do you want to remember? Um, kind of rem and remember being like the root of that word, like to remember, to make whole again, to bring back in your body. We talk a bit about like at the beginning of the journey, like what have you forgotten about yourself that you want to remember? And so we kind of weave that through. And and I think that remembering, you know, requires requires the courage, requires like looking for support when we get home, finding community, a soul friend that we can um, work with. Um, continuing to bring that um, back into our lives, but also knowing that it's not like it may be a slow journey and sort of trust, trusting that unfolding, if that makes sense. There's sort of like a the practice element, but also we're not doing this all ourselves. You know, we kind of just have to step in and do our best and then uh, trust that grace will actually carry us kind of a long way as well. And I love what you say about that idea of of practice. I've often said it's called a daily spiritual practice because you do it every day and you're not expected to get it right. Mm, you're just yeah. expected to, to do it. It's practice. Um, I love what you say in the book about coming back after a time away. You, I'm going to mess it up, but one of my favorite quotes and that, that I saw it in the book um, is is that quote from Rumi about come back even though you've broken your vows a thousand times come and come again and come back and there's that call back to practice that no matter how long we've been away it still whispers to us it's I think we harden ourselves against it oh I can't it's been too long I won't remember how I've really messed it up now I can't and yet you can yeah, absolutely. And for me, one of the big graces of the monastic tradition is this idea of, of always being a beginner. And you find that in both Buddhist and Christian traditions, you know, this commitment to um, 
to, to not thinking that we've, we've got it all figured out because then when we fall from our practice, we, you know, start to braid ourselves. But if we realize that we're really always a beginner, we can just gently bring ourselves back again and again, like to actually expect that we, as human beings, that we will sort of quote unquote fail. It isn't, isn't the word really that I mean, but that's kind of the message we give ourselves. So we give ourselves permission to take, you know, take the risk knowing that we will falter on our commitment. And, and actually there's, there's tremendous beauty in recommitting, you know, like I know for myself, you know, as a regular practitioner of yoga, you know, I go through periods where I'm very committed and then, you know, all kinds of things happen in my life that pull me away from it. And, and there, but there's something beautiful about like recommitting myself and rediscovering, Oh, this is why I love this so much. And so I actually have learned to take a great amount of joy instead of berating myself for not having been continuous about it, like really savoring that delight of rediscovering that practice again and why I love it so much. Well, and there's a way of thinking about practice where, and especially in the monastic tradition where it's, expected that you will um, fall away and there are kind of instructions for what to do when that happens, right? You will find yourself just kind of phoning it in. You will find yourself really disliking intensely all the people who you've committed to spend your life to with. You will find yourself not paying attention and yet that's to be expected. That's part you practice anyway. You come back anyway. Exactly. Exactly. You do it yeah, exactly. Through all the all the realities of daily life. Exactly. That's the beauty of it. I'd love to hear about some of the creative practices that you talk about in the book, especially maybe the practice of writing Midrash, which I'm not sure many people might know about what that means and how we can use that as part of our pilgrimage. Yeah, I Midrash is something I actually discovered in graduate school as um, my studies were in Christian spirituality, but we actually had to study an outside spiritual tradition. And I was focused on Judaism because I have a a love of that tradition and discovered this um, practice of Midrash, which was being, is an ancient rabbinic practice. The rabbis would write Midrash, which are essentially stories that kind of fill in the cracks in scripture. So when you read the scripture texts, you know, these these ancient stories, there's a lot of missing pieces. There's a lot of questions that are raised if we're paying attention. There's a lot of voices that aren't in there. And so the, the original purpose of Midrash was to help fill in the, the gaps. Um, one of the images of scripture in the in this tradition is uh, black fire on white fire. So the letters are the black fire and the Midrash is the white fire. So it's the space between and uh, in recent years, and particularly in the Jewish community, there's been a, a feminist reclaiming of Midrash so that women are retelling or telling the stories, the lost voices of women in scripture. So, you know, exploring, you know, the voice of Eve or Miriam or, you know, Rachel or any of those figures, giving them voice um, in, those the the voices of women are really absent a lot from scripture or there are things that happen to the women in the stories and we think gosh and then they're never heard from again and we kind of want to know so there's an empowerment in that and so and then I discovered later and uh when I was moving through the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius and St. Ignatius was a 
16th century Spanish mystic, and he had this way of praying with the imagination, which was very similar to Midrash, I discovered as I started entering into it, where you read the scriptures and you start to imagine the scene and all the sensual elements of it, and you have dialogue with the different characters. And so there's this element of like filling in the gaps, like your imagination is is really honored and respected as a pathway to truth. And so uh, I really enjoyed starting to invite people to write their own midrash, essentially. To We include in each of the chapters um, a, a biblical story of journey. Some of them are kind of more obvious stories than others. Um, and so the idea is that we, we can pray with these scriptures in a contemplative way and receive, you know, whatever words of wisdom might come from them. But another way to enter into them is to imagine ourselves in the scene or, you know, how would I react if I were, you know, Abraham being called at this late age to leave everything behind in my life or, you know, who are the, who are the other characters that I might want to, that I identify with, that I might want to speak from their voice. And so I think it's in that process of, that we really discover, uh, you know, our own impulses and desires that we might have permission to name if we're voicing them through another character, if that makes sense. It does. It's it's beautiful. And I know that we're heading into one of, to me, the most tender times in the liturgical year um, in Christianity, which is as we head into Advent, that also is a, a kind of a space between a space where the borders are thin, a space where we are on the edge, but not quite over the edge. And I know that Abbey of the Arts is offering a a special retreat this year around Advent and around Christmas. Can you say a little bit about that and sort of let people know how they can find out more? Yes, we um, we do an online retreat for the Advent Christmas season. It's six weeks long and it's online. So we have people from all over the world participate and you just need a computer to be able to, to come join us. And our theme this year is on the idea of sacred time and embracing the slow rhythms of the seasons. So we'll look at kind of, you know, stepping out of uh, sort of the mindset, you know, we have a lot of language around time, like wasting time and spending time. And we lament that if we only had more hours in the day. And so we'll kind of look from a contemplative and monastic perspective, look at how do we how do we slow ourselves down and touch those moments of eternity that are really present to us uh, throughout the day? And we'll look at kind of the rhythms of the hours of the day, the weekly rhythms, the Sabbath, the um, lunar cycles, the movement from full moon to to new moon, and mm-hmm. the solar cycles of the seasons, and then life cycles and cosmic time. So kind of this expansion of perspective. And really just an invitation into uh, more slowness and more presence and more awareness in a season that can often be incredibly rushed (laughs) and busy. And people can find out about it at the website at abbeyofthearts.com. There's a link on the homepage. Wonderful. I have to know before we go, online abbess, is there a costume? (laughs) There isn't, but I have to admit that... um, uh, when I was in Germany a few years ago for Hildegard of Bingen's, uh, there was a big celebration because she had just become saint and canonized as a doctor of the church. And the the abbess of her community, the St. Hildegard community that still exists, had this beautiful gold crozier. Oh. And uh, I had to admit that I had crozier and me. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> 
I'm not sure I would walk around Galway with a big gold crochet, but uh, there, I could sort of fantasize about it a little bit. <laughs> Christine, thank you so much for being on the program today. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. It's been great. <laughs> thank you. That's Christine Walters Paintner. Her new book is The Soul of a Pilgrim, Eight Practices for the Journey Within. Find out more about Christine and her work online at Abbey of the Arts. Dot com. And you can also find out more about me and what I'm up to at KarenHager.com. I'd love your feedback about this show, your own stories of the inner journey of pilgrimage. Thank you for listening today. Together we are spreading a little more light in the world, and a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace. Peace.